Hello and welcome to the Conflict Skills Podcast. I'm your host, professional mediator Simon Good. This podcast is designed to help you develop confidence and strategic tools for dealing with conflict, whether the conflict is connected to work, study, or personal relationships. So it's still a relatively new podcast. This is the second episode. And in last week's episode, the first of the podcast, I described the five different kinds of conflict, data conflict, interest, values, structure, and relationship, and sort of pulled apart some of the different drivers that are connected to the different kinds of conflict and started to look at options for responding In this episode of the podcast, I'll explain how we can use this lens of understanding the kinds of conflict and apply it to four different conflict situations. So I've prepared different case studies looking at conflict examples across dealing with a neighbor, a workplace situation with an unreasonable client who's a bit aggressive and pushy, even dealing with a child. In my case, I have a six-year-old son, so I'll talk about some of the common triggers for tantrums and even how we can understand those conflict situations by using the five different kinds as an analytical tool. So let's have a look then at the first conflict example. Here we're looking at a dispute with a neighbour. Now, I've sort of prepared this example based on a real situation that a client talked to me about. They were actually here working with me for conflict resolution training, but they said, you know, things at work are relatively smooth compared to this nightmare of a situation I'm dealing with with my neighbor. They'd lived in the house for a couple of years, and it was a very dense suburban area, very small blocks close together. I think it was in Sydney. So their neighbour, immediately next door to them, had built a large back veranda and their block sat up a little bit higher, which meant that when they were on the veranda, they were basically overlooking this person's house who I was talking to. Now, they felt very uncomfortable about this. They didn't like the neighbour. It was an older single guy and the lady who was talking to me said she just felt quite uncomfortable when he's out the back and basically being in direct eyesight. So what they'd done when they first moved into the house was plant some trees designed for screening. At the time, she said that they checked with the local council about regulations and all of it was in line. And actually what she discovered was that they were required to have screening type of plants in between the two blocks. That was one of the, what would you say, bylaws or parts of the covenant when the estate was first established. So they were meant to have these trees. They certainly could plant these trees. So they did plant them. They grew up and started to give them a bit of privacy and they were happy until the neighbor started complaining about sections of his lawn that were dying. And he felt like the trees were putting shade on his property, which was making his grass die. The the ground was getting too wet. And when I was talking to this person, it had been raining a lot. It was a a flood basically happening. So I'm, I'm guessing the neighbor was particularly irate about his um, grass dying. Now she'd gone over and talked to him about it. Mainly her husband was doing the negotiations with the neighbor and she said it all just goes pear-shaped. He insists that they're doing something against council guidelines and makes various threats, including that he's going to go and chop the trees down himself. He'll complain and report them to the council. He'll talk to other neighbours about how unreasonable they're being. So lots of threatening and posturing kinds of behaviour. And this person I was talking to was really at a loss as to what to do. They explained that 
dealing with the council had confirmed that they hadn't done anything wrong, but it didn't seem to make any difference to him. So if we're going through the full conflict analysis toolkit, we would look at goals and what's most important here. So I said to the person, you know, what kind of a relationship would you like to have with your neighbor? Is this one that you can just let go or do you need to respond? So even that in itself, I think was helpful for her to realize that maybe this actually was a situation that she didn't need to do anything about. The trees are there unless the neighbor comes over and cuts them. Maybe that's not actually something that they need to worry about happening. It's almost like we need to be alert, but relaxed. <laughs> Whereas at the time I talked to her, she was alert, but anything but relaxed, I guess, very tightly wound. Then we would look at the different elements that are in your control. And then this types of conflict is the next thing that you might often consider. So here, what would be some examples of data conflict as a starting point? Well, it's possible that he doesn't understand the fact that you're in line with council regulations. He thinks that he's going to be able to get somewhere by pursuing it. So I suppose an option would be sending him a copy of the emails that you've received from council, getting it in writing from them in a first instance, if all you've had is verbal conversations until now, choosing the way to send that to him, like maybe by email or go and talking to him about it first and offering this as a possible next step, and even asking him to clarify his position. So if he's mentioned the fact that this is in breach of rules or guidelines or laws or whatever, Maybe say to him, you know, gosh, I'm sorry, we hadn't realized that. Could you send us through the specific guidelines that we're in breach of? Like, in some ways, we, we want to do this respectfully, but, and in a way, I guess, that doesn't trigger him. So we want to say, oh, gosh, that must be my mistake. At the same time, we don't want to come across as too patronizing. Like, I, I genuinely am like, look, if we're out of line with guidelines, we'd like to know, could you please... I guess, send through a list of the specific clauses and we'll have a look and review. It's in good faith offering to change and evaluate your perspective if the other person provides more facts. So we put those all as examples of dealing with that data conflict, sharing why you think you're right, or asking them for information about why they think they're right. If it turns out that it's just ambiguous, then you would say, well, you know, how can we f figure this out? Is there someone in council we can go to for more information? Is there some reason why we would split the difference, so to speak? Is there an expert opinion we could trust? Like, I don't know, a landscaper who lives up the road that you both know, maybe get his input on the situation. It doesn't really matter, but the goal there is to not sit in that ambiguity moving forward if that's what's driving the conflict. Interest conflict is kind of an obvious one here. This is I want something and you want something and those two things are getting in the way of each other. He wants sunlight, grass, you want privacy. <laughs> it might be, though, deeper levels of interest that are driving things. Maybe he wants to have something to do. Maybe he's just bored, an older guy that doesn't work. It's possible. Maybe he wants to feel important. Maybe he feels like you've been disrespectful and he wants to save face. Maybe uh, he feels like this is a really defensive move and one thing that was important to him was getting to know his neighbours and feeling connected. Like I'm just hypothesising here but these are all examples of interest conflict that might be driving it. If we stick to the surface level for now, you want privacy and it's causing him problems with his grass, then I suppose you could decide to be as firm or as flexible as you like. 
you would name the situation and say, look, it, it seems like this is a really tough situation because we're not going to be able to both get what we need. For us, privacy is really important. And so the trees are really giving us that at the moment, but I can hear where you're coming from about it causing problems with the grass. Are there any ideas or options that you can come up with for, you know, maybe solutions that will help us both get what we need? It's basically opening the door to problem solving and that solution-focused conversation without just getting stuck on Groundhog Day where he keeps repeating what he's told you. Yes, I get it. The grass is important to you and at the moment you feel like the trees are causing too much shade and it's killing the grass. Like when we summarize and validate what the other person said, it often means that they don't feel the need to keep repeating themselves, at least to the same extent. And then saying, look, well, for us at the moment, this is working. Have you got other ideas around what might work? You're forcing them to start to come up with options. And if all they do is come back and say, yeah, my option is I want you to cut down the trees. Well, then you could say, uh, actually, that's not something we're prepared to do at the moment. We've reviewed the legislation and contacted council and they've explained that it's not something that needs to happen right now. Um, we're happy to discuss other options, but for now, that's not something that we can agree to. Maybe you just firm and say no. Values conflict, maybe he's been swearing, dropping in unannounced, wanting to discuss the issue. Signs of being really disrespectful, but maybe that's just the way he operates in daily life. So we've got different values there. You could still address it and say, look, you know, I'm happy to discuss this issue, but it makes it difficult when you're swearing so much. It makes me uncomfortable and to me, it tends to create extra tension in the room that I, I don't know if it's helping. Would you use different language while we're talking about this? You can do that as formally or informally as you want. Even just saying, look, I'm happy to talk about it. Would you mind not swearing? Uh, structural conflict, maybe that's contributing to the problem. If it's been email back and forth or face-to-face -face conversations. If your husband and this person has been getting in a fight every time they discuss it, then maybe change the people who are involved. Doing it in public instead of in private might help, or maybe it would make it worse, and so private would be better. Maybe sending him a message saying, look, you know, we'd love to chat about the trees. We've got a bit more information from council. Would it be okay if we pop over later? And then going and ringing the doorbell would mean that he knows why you're there and he's prepared. Whereas if all you do is walk over and ring the doorbell, he's might be a reactive kind of person that gets flustered and upset. And by the way, we don't know why this guy might be using drugs or alcohol, have mental health issues, PTSD and trauma, like who knows? So we don't want to assume why he's reacting the way that they are and assume that it's all about us. That might not be the case. So we'd look at maybe structural options that are contributing to the conflict and how we can fix it. And even the relationship build up, the frustrations and resentment, how is that sitting there for you? If you're walking in there thinking this person is unreasonable, there's no point doing any of this, then of course it's not going to set you up for success. So a bit of self-care, de-stressing yourself before you go in might help, and dealing with some of the build-up of frustration on his end too. Maybe just saying, look, I, I know you're probably bloody sick of having to talk about this same thing again and again, and you might even feel like we're going round and round in circles. I suppose for us, the reason we're willing to keep talking about it is because we don't want to have a negative relationship with you. Um, we, we don't want that stress, and um, ultimately it's just not the kind of way we want to be with our neighbours. So we're hoping that we can figure something out that if it's not 100% a win-win or what we want, at least it's something that we can all live with. So almost just acknowledging some of that relationship, frustration, resentment, etc. that might be building up for him too, 
to some extent might start to take the heat out of the situation. So that's the first example, looking at that um, conflict with neighbour, and so as we've gone through those different five areas, you can start to see how it gives us options for responding. So let's look then at the second example in the podcast today. Here we're looking at a situation where a client wants a variation. Maybe they've engaged your company to do some work for them and now they want more. (laughs) They want it done quicker, they want you to do something extra, they want you to change something that's going to make it more difficult. And a lot of the time when clients ask for this, they do it overtly with the request of we want you to do it without any additional money or it's a covert expectation that's sometimes built in. And it can be the kind of thing that pushes our buttons, especially me when a client asks me, you know, can I do this extra and now this extra and now this extra? And they say, look, we figured it would be under that original amount that we paid. I find that very annoying. It's like they have this air of entitlement. And yeah, for me, I can feel it's something that there's possibility of setting me off. I have to admit and it just, yeah, it means I might come back with more of a defensive response than I intend to. Here, let's imagine that the client is being a bit unreasonable and we'll look at what might be driving the situation. So this could be a large client, very demanding, asking for urgent meetings repeatedly. And then last week, they've made a sudden request for updates, got very angry when you suggested that you would need a few days because you've got other meetings scheduled with other clients. And they even gave a vague threat, like, you know, that you sent through a rushed update and then they haven't heard anything about a week later. So they've ramped up the pressure. You've kind of been accommodating. You're sitting there with some type of a discomfort, at least wanting to set up clear expectations so this doesn't keep happening moving forward. So in terms of data, well, they might have other clients. They might think that other clients are getting free stuff or from other vendors that they use, they might get these additional services or goods or whatever it is without paying for it. Maybe they think you've agreed to it in the contract. Maybe they've misread the email. So we'd need to find a way to clarify those discrepancies where we identify them. The starting point might be to say to them, look, it seems like this is something that you're expecting built into the original quote. Have I got that right? I just want to be transparent because this is the kind of variation where we would normally charge an additional amount for. It's very rare that we would agree to do this additional work without additional cost because ultimately we can't in good faith, lose money doing work. It's not going to set our company up to be sustainable moving forward. Interest conflict, them versus you, well, they want as much possible for free. (laughs) Again, this isn't a very mysterious one. They want to save money and you want to make money. So here we might validate their underlying importance. It's not just they want to save money because they're selfish. You might bring back the purpose of the project. Maybe you're working with them to, I don't know, build a new outdoor area for a school and you're working with the Department of Education and they've been very pushy and demanding. You might say to them, look, I know underneath all of this is your priority of the kids' safety, giving them a safe place to play that's out of the sun and they can also use it in different weather. Um, So it makes sense while you're asking for this change, the extra reinforcing, given the fact that, you know, there's analyzed, I don't know, the potential impact of climate change and you think that wind may increase. So it's kind of like saying, I get why you're asking for this. It's connected to your underlying mission of making things safe for the kids. 
On our end, because the, of the additional cost of materials involved, there will need to be an additional cost and, and additional invoice generated, for example. Just basically saying, I know this is important to you. On our end, this is what's important to us, even if it's just not losing money, making sure that we have a fair arrangement in place where we're paid in accordance with what we've agreed to for the work that we've agreed to do. It might even be saying, look, I know this is important for you to have it done quicker. On our end, the challenge is that this is a particularly difficult time to find reliable tradespeople, and we don't want to hire someone who's not up to the task and ultimately end up with a subpar product that we hand over to you at the end of the day. That That's not the way that we work. So identifying that interest conflict and then saying, well, how can we manage this moving forward? What's a fair kind of arrangement? Values conflict, maybe they think you're being really scroungy. Maybe they feel like the customer is always right and they can just walk over the top of you. So you might say, look, this might be the way that you normally deal with other vendors, but on our end, this isn't the kind of request that we're going to be able to okay without going through a more thorough process of estimation, figuring out what it's going to cost and timeframes and any other potential issues that might come up. Maybe it's structural factors. Maybe you don't have regular meetings with these clients to go through some of these changes. Maybe the scoping stage at the beginning of the project didn't allow enough time to look through potential variations and options. Or maybe it did, and what you actually need in terms of structure is more signing off and confirming on their end that any changes beyond this point will result in additional charges. Maybe you can sort of reinforce that somehow during the early stages of the project. So that's the structural change that you could make. Maybe it's relationship stuff. Maybe this person thinks that, you know, they can push you around. I know a lot of females working in some sectors, like construction, for example, is one I work with a lot often feel like they need to really assert their authority at the beginning of a meeting because if they don't, the other person feels like they can just walk all over the top of them. These might also be elements that are playing out here. So looking at those five different factors starts to give us information about how to respond. Example three, maybe you've got team meetings that, going, that are going constantly off track. Everyone wants to have a say, they're telling long stories, long-winded kind of people involved, and it's just really not working. People get very frustrated about topics and get triggered. They might even storm out. It's funny the kind of spiral that can devolve when meetings start going badly. Everyone gets frustrated and upset and it can start to go worse as everyone jumps in doing what they think needs to happen in the moment. So data, data conflict, the first possible type of conflict. Maybe people don't know what these meetings are for. Maybe they don't understand how much input they're supposed to be providing or what preparation is meant to be needed or the fact that you finish at this time, that's actually a firm finish time. It's not flexible to stay an extra 30 minutes like everyone seems to be doing every week. Interest conflict? Well, maybe there are competition factors playing out. People want attention. Maybe they're in line for a promotion that for a vacant position and they feel like contributing positively to these meetings makes them look good to the decision makers. Maybe they want things that are important to them in their roles from this meeting and everyone's jumping in being very aggressive because they're worried that they're not going to be able to get what they need. Let's look at values conflict. Well, people have different ideas about what's appropriate in meetings, the language that can be used, how okay it is to interrupt someone when they're speaking? Should the person who's running the meeting sort of 
dominate the conversation, so to speak, speak more than others, or should it be equally shared? These are all things that people walk into a meeting with expectations around, often connected to these values. And if you've never clarified, well, how are you going to figure all of this different mix of perspectives out? You often end up with a very messy and murky soup that you're all swimming in, which it sounds like here might be happening. So to deal with that kind of values conflict, you might, I guess, name some of those differences. Look, you know, I'm just aware that people have come from different backgrounds, so you've probably got a different idea about how these meetings should run. I just want to be transparent and clarify things from the outset. To my mind, I'd I'd like things to be structured. If you'd like to talk about something in the meeting, send it through to me ahead of time and we can put it on the agenda. But what doesn't work is when people all walk into the room wanting to add topics to discuss and the other people present haven't had a chance to do research or even just give it some thought. So would it be okay moving forward if you'd like to discuss a topic to make sure that you send that through to me? We come up with the agenda and as far as possible, we stick to that while we're in the room. What do you reckon? Maybe that's an example of structure of structural conflict as well. Maybe there's no agenda. Maybe it's not distributed ahead of time. Maybe the meeting is too long or it's not long enough or you've got the wrong mix of people in the rooms. How do you brief them about what's expected before the meeting? How have you dealt with problems in the past? Maybe it's just been left to manage itself and it's gradually been getting worse. So a structural intervention might be getting a senior person to come and attend meetings for a few times so that things can start to get back on track. Maybe their influence would put people on their best behavior. And then maybe it's relationship conflict. People might feel like they're being steamrolled. There's too much change they've had to deal with. Maybe you've got new members of the team who aren't fitting in. These are all examples as well of different ways to respond. So even for team meetings, if we start to pull apart the different kinds of conflict, then we can generate options. And it's not so much that one of these is right or wrong, In many situations, you might actually benefit from taking a multifaceted approach and dealing with the conflict situation from a number of different directions. So the final example I mentioned, my six-year-old son asking for dessert. He wants sweets after eating, and I say no, and he has a meltdown. (laughs) Uh, This probably is a daily occurrence, to be honest, at the moment. It's been getting better, but gosh, sugar and craving for sugar is definitely something that sets him off. I I can't remember how much I must have loved sugar as well as a child, but yeah, I'm I'm seeing it play out in real time. And of course it gives him dopamine. It makes him feel good. So yeah, it's not surprising why he wants it. And the stage that he's at, he's probably right brain dominant. His cortex, the rational bit of his brain is still developing, which means that he doesn't understand things like the fact that he had it yesterday means he shouldn't have it today. So he asks for dessert and has a meltdown. Well, how can we pull that apart? Data conflict might be that he thinks he should have dessert after every meal. He thinks other kids get it. He thinks I've agreed to it previously, which, which by the way, I might have accidentally insinuated at some stage. I think he might be a lawyer when he grows up, because if I even hint about the fact that he's allowed something, and then later I say no, that is just mega meltdown mode immediately. These are all examples of data conflict, and if we're going to deal with it effectively, maybe we should clarify that. Look, I just want to be clear with you that dessert's really just for weekends, and if it's a school day, then me and mum are both going to say no. You can ask if you'd like, but that will be the response that you get. Interest conflict? Well, he wants sugar, and I don't want him to get it just before bed. So maybe we say something like, Look, mate, I know you'd really like it. It's delicious, and I know up the top there's some of your favourite lollies that are there, your favourite candy. 
It's not something I can say yes to, mate. And part of the problem is that it's my job to keep you healthy. I'm, I'm your dad. And one of the things that I can help you do is eat healthier. What you eat goes into your body and some of it's really good and some of it can make you feel grumpy, can make you not sleep well, it can make it tricky to concentrate, it can make it feel like when you're bored it's horrible and yucky. So this is an example where I'm just going to have to say no. There's a healthier option that you can have if you do want something sweet. There's a, a peach or a banana in the cupboard that you can have before you brush your teeth, but there won't be any lollies. Values conflict, maybe he feels really betrayed when I say no. So explaining some of those objective reasons would mitigate that one to some extent, maybe. Maybe it's his value that he thinks that he can go and have a tantrum and he'll get what he wants. And I just need to let that play out so that that value can subside. That's one that I can't convince him out of. He needs to experience it. And if I look at the situation in that way, he needs to have a tantrum so that he can learn that it's not going to get him what he wants then all my job is is to shut up and let him have a tantrum and not overreact and make it worse, which is usually my go-to strategy. <laughs> um, structure, maybe we could put a chart on the fridge. One day is dessert day, the lolly day. Let him choose the desserts and put them in buckets and put them on the shelf so he knows what he's allowed which days. That might mean that when I say no, it's not coming as a shock or a surprise. Maybe it's relationship conflict. Maybe... His rational brain is just offline, he's exhausted, and so I need to be really careful about how I speak. Use the low volume, low speed, uh, low tone type of voice. That's the kind of voice that will start to de-escalate him, basically how I'm speaking right now. And that's tricky when I'm annoyed and upset. And, well, I didn't say you could have a lolly, mate. And of course, if I speak like that, it's going to start to trigger him off and start that roller coaster of relationship conflict. So I'd need to be really careful not to make things worse. And if I can speak in that way, low volume, low tone, slow speed, that will start to help to calm him down. And then I would look at de-escalating further. And that might even be a good topic for the next episode of the podcast. Start to look at de-escalation skills and how we can apply them, maybe again to using real examples. Well, that's the four different examples of pull them apart looking at the different kinds of conflict which factors might be contributing and what this means then in terms of taking a approach where we respond rather than reacting um, thank you very much for listening as i said this is just the second episode of the podcast so it's very new and one thing that would be really helpful for me right now is give me some feedback and maybe do a formal review if you'd be willing to, go to Spotify or iTunes and leave five stars if you think that it's been helpful for you and it warrants that. For me, that really helps with the algorithm to help more people discover it. And I'd love to know, um, are you enjoying the format so far? Would you like me to talk faster in more detail? Do you like the way it is at the moment? Would you prefer a bit of an executive summary at the top of the podcast and then going a bit deeper for those of you who want it? Would you like more of a theoretical approach? Do you enjoy the practical examples that I've used today? You know, what works for you? I'd love to hear from you. So you can shoot me an email, podcast at simongood, S-I-M-O-N-G-O-O-D-E dot com. I'd love to hear from you. And thanks again for listening. Good luck in the conflict situations that you're dealing with. Bye for now.